podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and thank you for tuning in to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast this week. Before we begin this episode, if you do like this show, and I assume you do because you are listening to it, then you're going to love my other Manchester United-based podcast called United Through Time. The new podcast delving into Manchester United's long and famous history. Going in chronological order, United Through Time focuses on the most important individuals at the club since it was founded as Newton Heath in 1878. In episode one, we looked at Louis Rocker, T-boy, groundsman, chief scout, fixer, manager, charismatic Italian who claims he named the club who brought Matt Busby to the club. In episode two, it was the womanising, beer-drinking, hard-tackling captain Harry Stafford, a man without whom Manchester United would likely have folded back in 1902. But in episode three, about to come out in two parts, it's a story of a man obsessed by the status and success of Manchester United, the first financial saviour of the club, John Henry Davies. If you like the sound of that, tune in on Acast, iTunes or Spotify. But for now, enjoy the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Cheers. weren't too confident but United's players were they were composed comfortable professional and ruthless Manchester United knocked the FA Cup holders out of the competition win a seventh consecutive away fixture and march on into the fifth round of the FA Cup with a 2-0 win against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge Ole Gunnar Solskjaer adds another memorable night to his ever-growing collection as Manchester United manager the first time United have won at Stamford Bridge since 2012 and only the third time in the last 17 years Um, a real bogey ground overcome by astute tactics and high level performances and what looked like one of the best away days of the last half a decade or so a huge allocation in West London and the United fans made the most of it it seems like our fans enjoy away games it was fun, fantastic performance by them tonight as well so uh, I've got to say uh, sometimes you um, you want a home game but when we're away we got the best support in the world an away support worth paying tribute to, but we'll be discussing mainly the performance from the team, dissecting it all, as well as looking ahead to Liverpool on Sunday. We'll also provide you with our regular extensive youth loan and women's roundup on Series 4, Episode 28 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Now, Jack, uh, so, so many players and decisions, uh, so many things that we can praise from that game. Um, but first of all, to bounce back from a very disappointing night after the Paris Saint-Germain game, uh, which was just a stab in it, not a stab in the back, but a, a punch to the gut, it felt like. And to bounce back from that, look confident from the off, a few shaky moments at the start, but United deserving of their victory, certainly. 100% deserving of the victory, yeah. It was a great performance in the end. I was a little bit worried, actually, after the first sort of 10, 15 minutes. We didn't start that well, I didn't think. Chelsea were kind of penning us in, and we weren't, we weren't getting the outboards as well as we would have liked. But... We grew into the game really, really well, controlled the rest of the first half. And even in the second half, as Herrera said after the game, we could have done a, a little bit better job of keeping the ball and controlling the game. But we never really looked under any great threat. We defended so, so well. And it was a real team defensive performance as well. As well, It wasn't like we were just relying on last-ditch tackles from Lindelof and Smalling the whole time. The midfield was brilliant in trying to stop Chelsea from playing through the lines. We really controlled Hazard, who really was a non-factor for most of the game other than a, a couple of runs. And I, th- I thought it was a brilliant team performance and really, really well done again by Oli to put into place new tactics against Chelsea. And to be fair, as BBC did actually mention after the game, this isn't all just smiles and, and hugs and giving people confidence. This is 
really, really good tactical changes by Oli every single week that uh, seem to be working. This was a similar kind of t- um, set up to how we went into the game against Spurs and it worked just as well. Yeah, and I think although we weren't brilliant throughout the first half, um, I think the what Solskjaer was trying to make his team do was pretty clear from the off. And it was... It was similar in a way to what we've seen from United before under Solskjaer already in that the, immediately there was the attacking intent there. But it was slightly different in the fact that we had only 33% possession, but we, we really made it count. And the fact that we were playing a, a different formation with a, a diamond um, behind the striker rather than um, playing wide. And we there were, there were thoughts, particularly after the PSG game where Solskjaer's plan A didn't work if you like, um, when we weren't able to capitalise on on having good width and and pace in our attacks. didn't work against Paris Saint-Germain. And it was kind of, is there something else we can do? And I think the the game at Stamford Bridge showed that, yeah, there is something else we can do. Is it a plan B? I don't know. I'm not going to start labelling them all plans um, because it will get confusing. But it's another option that United have. And that diamond is what most people wanted when we knew that Lingard and Martial wouldn't be available because matter wide right is pretty ineffective. Um, but playing at that number 10 role was, was much better. Uh, Under Herrera and Paul Pogba were both fantastic. We'll move on to them individually in a second. But j- it just showed that Solskjaer can do something slightly different again. We saw against Spurs, it was can he, can he overcome this challenge? He did. He, he showed himself to be tactically astute. Same against Arsenal. Um, same against Chelsea. Yeah, this was a really similar setup to what worked against Spurs with the diamond in midfield. And it was the perfect system both for to deal with Chelsea and also to deal with the injuries that we're having. Like you said, Mata playing on the, on the right wing is not something that we wanted to see. He's very ineffective out there and ends up cutting inside so much that he effectively plays as a number 10 for the majority of the game anyway. And to be fair, I think one of the best things about the way that we set up with that system last night was that even apart from maybe the first 10 or 15 minutes where I thought Chelsea's fullbacks were getting a lot to, a way too much space out wide, the, the two midfielders and the, and the edges of, of the diamond and uh, Herrera and Pogba really kind of stretched themselves in defence and got out to shut down the fullbacks as P and uh, Alonso whenever they had the ball. Because that's one of the issues with playing the diamond. Sure, you can crowd out midfield, but then it leaves a lot of space out wide for, the, for whoever you're playing against to have sort of a two-on-one against the fullback. So it was really well done by Herrera and Pogba doing their defensive duties out wide. It was a perfect way to try and combat what Chelsea liked to do as well because we, it meant that we could get in amongst Jorginho, Kovacic, Kante, stop them from playing quickly and getting the ball into Higuain and Hazard. It was a, a brilliant tactical performance and I think we'll probably end up seeing a very similar thing against Liverpool on Sunday, um, which we'll obviously talk about yeah. later. Yeah, and I, it was just, it was good to see some variety there and... This, I think, more than I think, more than Spurs and more than Arsenal. Actually, I was more impressed with this performance because it was so complete. And that, although at times you thought Chelsea could could get a goal here, I thought for the majority of the game, United looked pretty comfortable in what they were doing and confident. Um, and it did. I mean, it did leave us open at times because Charles Solskjaer spoke about pushing the midfielders up the pitch, encouraging them to get in the box, and obviously that's what we saw with with goals from two midfielders under Herrera and Paul Pogba and that obviously worked uh, in, in in an attacking sense but it, of course it's going to leave United open sometimes but we managed to cope with that our defence in the second half looked very very solid um, I don't think Chelsea had a shot on target in the second half 
um, if I remember correctly. And that kind of level of performances, I think, was above um, Tottenham and Arsenal, even though Chelsea were, were pretty poor in some of the stuff they did. But I, I said we'd speak about Pop and Herrera, and we, we certainly should. Uh, first, we'll, we'll speak about my man of the match and the Herrera, um, and then speak about... Paul Pogba, who was man of the match for a lot of the media outlets, including the BBC, I think. Um, but Herrera, one of one of Herrera's best displays, certainly my man of the match. I, I do understand why people chose Pogba, but one of those games where you're happy to see him buzzing about all over the place, like the the busy bee that he is. Yeah, I'm with you. Herrera was my man of the match too. I, I understand why it was given to Pogba for the goal and and the assist, but Herrera for me was the standout all-round performer. He got in and amongst Chelsea so well in midfield. I, I couldn't count the, the number of times where he was breaking up Chelsea's attacks. And what was so nice was to see him contributing going forward as well. The run for his goal was brilliant. The way he, he stole in at the back post. Obviously a brilliant cross from Pogba to put him in there as well. But Herrera's all-round performance was one of the best I can remember him having in a United shirt. He was a true leader on the pitch. He was organising. Whenever Smalling or Lindelof got dragged out, uh, out of position, he was there mopping up. The one that really stands out to me was uh, in the second half when I think it was Alonso had the ball down the left wing and puts in a, a sort of low-driven cross that's heading into the in towards the box, and Herrera's there basically playing as a centre back after Smalling had got caught out of position, and and then as soon as he controls the ball from that cross, then plays a great pass out to Rashford to launch a counter attack as well, and it, that was just symptomatic of of his performance. It was a brilliant performance defensively. But then there were little little bits and pieces as well where he reminds us of the quality that he has going forward and his ability to to stop to launch attacks from us from deep. And it was he he performed that role brilliantly in in the sort of right hand side of the diamond, got out to Alonso and Hazard to to help out Young, and it was a brilliant all round performance. He was kind of a an orchestrator in the the least smooth way imaginable, the kind of most under Herrera way imaginable, in that he was. Uh, making hand gestures for the whole 90 minutes and, and charging about and screaming about, but with huge success, as you say, intercepting, breaking up play. And then and then when he was on the ball, he looked um, he looked very good, uh, looking forward with passes, starting the counter-attacks. And then one of the most important things, I think, from a, from a managerial perspective for Solskjaer, given that he asked them to do it, was uh, the fact that Herrera was constantly getting into or on the edge of the box and being in a goal-scoring position, which eventually... He was, and he did score. Um, and, that, and that first goal was was such a, a great example of the way that runners from midfield can help you take players out of the game. You know, you have Lukaku dropping deep, getting involved in the attack. Pogba and Herrera both involved in the build-up. Then you saw, as Pogba isolates Rudiger Mata running through on the on the overlap, and then Herrera running into the back post to score the goal. So today you have three of our four midfielders all, all basically either in or around the 18-yard box with Pogba on the ball, Matter making that overlapping run and Herrera running in at the back post. And sure, there's there is some risk involved in that. As you said, you, if we if we lose the ball in that situation, you do then leave yourself open to the counter attack. But that is a perfect example of why runners from midfield can be so effective because they they stop players from being able to commit. Because if if Matter doesn't make that overlapping run, Rudiger can get a lot tighter on Pogba and probably stop that cross from coming in. It was it was just a perfect example of how we're so much different now than we were under Mourinho. Yeah, and Ben Smith tweeted into us saying um, thought Herrera had a, a, a cracking game, and it was nice to see how the United players didn't let the the PSG 
defeat affect them um, and can only agree but on the, you mentioned the first goal so did I because th- th- that goal was a vindication of everything we were doing in that game um, but the the cross from Paul Pogba was uh, perfect I think the, the cliche would be pinpoint accuracy uh, if we're going to go down that route but it, it was I, I think it to me it seemed like it was the first time that Pogba managed to find space away from the attention of Ngoro Kante's French national team teammate and Kante had been pretty close to him all game and before that goal it looked like Pogba was having a quite a, a quiet game unsurprisingly um, but that assist and later the goal we'll, we'll look at the assist first it means he's now been involved in a goal every 68 minutes since Solskjaer took over and um, he was marked by Kante but when he found space he produced ruthlessly. And that's that's exactly what you ask of, of world-class players is, you know, they're not going to be able to have consistently world-class games for 90 minutes every single week. But you expect that when they get that opportunity, they'll make it count and they will be clinical. And that's exactly what Pogba did, both for his assist and, and for his goal. I mean, I thought there were other moments in the game as well where he, he did very, very well for us to, to kind of stop the pattern of the game when, we were starting to get penned in a little bit and you'd see one of his runs forward or he'd release Rashford uh, to, to kind of buy us a little bit of time almost more so in the second half. But I mean, the quality that is on show from Pogba at times is just staggering. I mean, that cross to Herrera is so, so difficult to get the angle and the precision on that cross to just drop it over all the Chelsea defence and onto Herrera's head was brilliant. And then the thing I loved, I think the thing that I loved most about Pogba's performance was his run for his for his goal and you there was a great video on twitter um someone had shown the side by side of him and Lukaku and the difference in their runs when after uh Pogba releases Rashford so Pogba releases the ball by the way with a great weight of pass just take him just far enough away from David Luiz to give him a little bit of space and Pogba is busting the gut to get into the box and Lukaku just kind of ambling and it only ends up reaching to about the d on the edge of the area and then you yeah. see Pogba flying through the air to score us our second goal. And that is the kind of thing you didn't see from Pogba before. There was always a kind of a second thought whenever he whenever there was an opportunity like that to go forward, it was it was do I stay, do I go? Whereas now there's, there's no second thought at all. It's as soon as the, he releases the ball, his first instinct yeah. is to get forward, get in the box and score goals. And we're now kind of seeing that come to fruition. Yeah, it was it was much like the goal against I think it was the equalising goal in the 3-2 win against City in April I think it was the equalising yeah. goal because the first one was that one where Herrera chested it down and Popper managed to chip Edison I think and then the second one was that storming run into the box and then um, getting onto it and heading in the equaliser it was it, that kind of run into the box and I tell you what uh, do you remember Cristiano Ronaldo's goal against Roma in the Champions League I think it must have been 2007 or eight. And yeah, it was in quarterfinals, I think. Yeah, and he ran from I think pretty much the halfway line at a corner yeah. and just came charging in and, and flew in the air as as only Cristiano Ronaldo can do, and absolutely hugely powerful header into into the back of the net. Um, the power with which the power with which Pogba comes charging into that box just makes him pretty unstoppable. When the header does come, well, and, you, and, and, you and saw there's a lot, and there's a lot of talk about Kepa like. Sorry, I think you were just about to say this, but about yeah. Kepa making a mistake. And I don't actually think Kepa's done that bad either. That ball flew so quickly. That was the first thing I noticed when it came off Pogba's head. It's like, by the hell, that's travelling to come well, off yeah, someone's that, head uh, that quickly. I was going to say, Kepa got a hand to it, but it didn't matter. 
because the, the, just the sheer power of the of of the run that had come from from Pogba, and then his head gets onto it, so it's unstoppable. Um, and yeah, that was that was the other side to Pogba. We saw the first. I think those two goals sum him up so so brilliantly because the first one is the the skill, and then the perfect quality of the cross, and the second is the what can happen when he's given a little bit of freedom, and and he ha- he doesn't have to have that second thought. Is get into the box and provide the goal and wrap the game up almost. Um, I mean, I was still nervous when we were two 0 up. Uh, that's, yeah, there's so no doubt I. about that. But in a in a more pragmatic sense. It probably did wrap the game up, um, but yeah, an- another fantastic display from Pop. But I think the the one thing I, I had this in my mind before he assisted Herrera for the first goal, and I wanted to keep it in my mind and, and still say it because I didn't want the two goals to distract from this. But I think the thing we saw against PSG and Chelsea at times is that for someone of Pogba's quality, where he is going to in the big games, he's going to just be marked by one or two players at least one, Kante um, against Chelsea, and I think it was Marquinhos, or possibly Verratti, but I think Marquinhos against PSG. I think when that happens, we need to see Pogba creating space for other players better than he does, because his responsibility then is to create the space for Herrera, Rashford, whoever it would be, uh, and so they can move into that and take advantage of it. I think against Chelsea, we saw Pogba was being marked by Kante, and kind of just doing the same things, keeping the same position, not spreading Chelsea, not creating a hole. If he dragged Kante over to where, say, Jorginho was, then suddenly you've got a massive hole in Chelsea's midfield. So I think that's one area of improvement for a sensationally good footballer. I agree, yeah. I think that's the one area of Pogba's game that needs to significantly improve. Sometimes I feel like, and, we, and we've said this about Pogba in big games before, he, he sometimes wants to get on the ball a little bit too much. And that, that's, that sounds like a weird thing to say when you are as good on the ball as Paul Pogba is. But sometimes I think he needs to kind of understand when he's being taken out of the game, like he was against PSG and, and like Chelsea tried to do to him with Kante as well. And sometimes you kind of have to accept that for, for at least a, a portion of the game. And like you said, just drag players out of position, try and create space for everyone else. And he did it a little bit better towards the end of the first half. But against PSG and in the first half against Chelsea, sort of the, the first 20, 30 minutes, he didn't really do enough to create space for everyone else because when so much attention is being devoted to you, that creates so many opportunities for Herrera, Mata, Rashford and gives them so much more space. And I think Pogba needs to kind of recognise that a little bit better and try and peel off into positions that he probably wouldn't normally take up. You know, if he could peel off out wide a little bit more often, then we create a lot more space in the middle for Herrera and Mata to play in. And that's probably the one area of his game that I think Pogba does need to significantly improve. Having said that, I, I do understand why Pogba wants to be on the ball all the time. But I think normally when you when you are being man-marked like that so closely, you will eventually get that time on the ball, like he did for his for the assist for Herrera's goal. But to kind of create that situation, you have to make the other team stop committing to man marking you so often by creating space for everyone else because if you can do that then it makes everyone else it makes everyone else have to decide well okay if I'm being dragged out of position leaving space for everyone else that means I need to stop man marking Pogba and then he will get his own space yeah it's also the problem is that Pogba is quite clearly United's best player so when for example if, if you come up against PSG 
you can't man-mark Bappe because then you leave Cavani open or Neymar open. Obviously, they were both injured, but whoever it is, you leave Verratti open, you leave I mean, Di Maria open. Yeah, partly that, but as in, if, <laughs> if you're coming off against United, it's who do we mark? Well, we'll mark Bob, but we can leave everyone else alone because they might produce something of quality, but we know that Bob will produce something of quality. So I think if if you have a truly great team, you can't man-mark anyone because there's no one who is clearly a complete level above everyone else. It's more, they're slightly better and you can't leave anyone else alone either. So you have to resort to a very solid defensive structure, which is partly the problem. But on the on Pobba's goal, uh, I forgot to say, just, that goal was fantastic. Rashford's, the, the delay with which Rashford's crossed the ball, he just waited until the option was actually there, until it actually presented itself in the form of Paul Pobba, rather than just whipping it in immediately, rather than trying to take Louise on has that patience and composure and vision to do that. And then the execution of cross is obviously fantastic and, and, and the finish too. Oh yeah, there, there was a, a really good, um, to be fair, there was actually some pretty good analysis on BBC for once last night. Um, and they were saying at the end of the game how well Rashford did just to hold on to the ball a few seconds longer. So many players, when they get into that position, they just sort of panic and they focus so much and just putting the ball in a good area. But Rashford did so well to delay and delay and part of the reason he was able to do that was because of some very poor defending by David Luiz and not shutting him down properly. But that little delay allowed Pogba the extra moment he needed to get into that position. And just as Pogba had delivered so well for Herrera's goal, Rashford returned the favour for Pogba because that was an inch-perfect cross. And you just see the way Pogba aerially completely dominated. I think it was Azpilicueta mm. at the back post. And it was it was just not even a contest. And like like we said earlier, the power that he gets on that header is ridiculous. Uh, Pogba's aerial ability, I think, goes under the radar quite a lot because, all right, yeah, he's tall, and so it kind of assumes that he'll be good in the air. But the way that he uses the power, it, he's the way he generates power in his headers is absolutely crazy. I've never seen a midfielder who's able to do that so much, and um, and probably a lot of that comes from the momentum that he carries when he does make make those kind of runs where he's travelling at such a massive speed. By the time he gets to the ball, it's not quite as fun as watching Paul Scholes score headers, though. Because watching Skulls score, yeah. he was so small, and and probably partly because he was gi- ginger it as well. It looked so unnatural yeah. when Skulls when Skulls was. And he just it. occasionally pop up with this little like flinging himself into the air and powering. I mean, to be fair, he yeah. did score the winner in the in the derby, and then got a, a smooch on the lips by from Gary Neville. So, um, <laughs> not underrated in that respect. A couple more things before we move on. Um, a, a few little tactical things in the in the second half, which I was impressed by, uh, is that. Solskjaer left Nemanja Matic on when I was sitting in my seat in the pub calling for him to be subbed off because he was so close to getting a, a second yellow and, and being sent off. He left him on and eventually Matic calmed down and was fine for a, a good half hour of the game. And that's quite a, a bold thing to do. So many managers, me, me included, in fact, all Man United fans probably would have taken Matic off. But Solskjaer kind of just waited. I was screaming waited. at Oli to take him Exactly, off. yeah. And yet he was eventually, Matic performed and, and he kind of relaxed and, and didn't get sent off. So it was a good decision. I think my my worry about it was was getting Matic, uh, getting Matic suspended for the Liverpool game. And as important as the FA Cup was, I didn't want I didn't want Matic to be gone for the Liverpool game, especially when we were already 2-0 up. But I think what Solskjaer was probably thinking of was not disrupting the balance of that midfield. And in the end, it, it, he was vindicated because Matic... Uh, did kind of walk that tightrope. There was a, a suggestion in the second half where he made a couple of fouls in quick succession where 
I know a lot of the Chelsea players were were getting on Kevin Friend's back, but yeah. in the end, I think he actually it was the right decision to to keep him. I don't think any of his fouls really warranted him him being booked. And to be fair to Magic, I think there were there were actually a couple of times where he got penalised for for fouls I didn't think were fouls. There was one in particular I remember where Hazard was uh, running running mm. towards goal and Matic got got a foot in, but a foul was given even though it looked like he won the ball. But yeah, I mean it was bold from Oli to keep him on. And like you, like you said, I was screaming at him to, to take him off. I didn't want to run that risk. But, I mean, when you think about it, we don't really have, and this goes back to our lack of squad depth and what we need to do in the summer, but we don't really have a like-for-like like replacement for Matic in there. Because, sure, you could have brought, I guess, McTominay on or Pereira and yeah. put them where Herrera, Herrera was playing and drop Herrera deeper. But Herrera's a very different kind of midfielder to Matic. He's much more aggressive in the way that he presses and he's not as suited to play in that the sort of the base of the diamond role. So I think it, in the end it worked mm. out, but I mean, we'd be saying something very different if, if Matic had, had actually got sent off. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, and the last thing we'll say, Michael Byatt's tweeted in to say, I like to bring Pereira on in uh, for, for the last 15 minutes in a big game up 2-0. He needs to get some confidence back. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. It was a, a good decision to bring Pereira on. Uh, he lost the ball a couple of times, but that's, that's the kind of player he is. Um, and hopefully we start to see him regain some confidence and get some more game time towards the end of the season. A couple of nice statistics to end things off before we move on to our youth loan and women's roundup. And then the uh, preview in the Liverpool game is that United have now reached the FA Cup quarterfinal for the fifth consecutive season. The first time we've done that since 1966, the famous year when Eric Cantona was born. Um, and also the first <laughs> team to... I wondered how long it would take for you to get that uh, first team yeah. to eliminate Chelsea and Arsenal in the cup in the same season since United in 1999. And I think it's the first time we've beaten Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs away all in London uh, since 1985 or something in the same season. So, yeah. yeah. It doesn't surprise me. I mean, it's been long enough just since we beat Chelsea away. on a line, Yeah, it's true. They're, so, uh, well. they're rare enough by themselves, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, in fact, the final this, thing I was going to say is... This is the first time is, since, since Sir Alex, right? That we've beaten Chelsea yeah, since, away? Yeah, since 2012. It's mad. And the the final thing I was going to say is um, 11.2 million people watched Chelsea United on the BBC, which is 31% oh. of all adults in the country. And I think that just shows the value of a, a certain extent of free-to-air football in yeah. England and in the UK. Because 11.2, that's proper... That that is, I mean, people say the magic of the FA Cup's gone, and in fact, it's not even that. Football has weirdly become niche in the fact that so few people watch the biggest games. The biggest games on Sky, even even City United and stuff, will will get a couple of million at most. Eleven point two million is for for a country's main sport. That's how many the big games should be getting. So, um, yeah, shows the value of free to football. Yeah. It's been a busy week for Manchester United's academy. The under-18s lost 3-0 to Manchester City in the under-18 Premier League Cup semi-final to a very good Manchester City side uh, who were led by Felix and Metcher. Uh, the under-23s were beaten 3-1 by Stoke City. Damani Melor scored the only goal for United and 16-year-old Anthony Alanga made his debut at that level for United and looked at home in his first Premier League two match just at the age of 16, which is fantastic. 
In transfer news, Noam Emiran has signed for United. Uh, he was with the under-16s as they went to Slovakia to the home of FG Poprad. They had a mini-tournament there and they helped to uh, coach the younger age groups at uh, Poprad's academy and, and had a friendly against FG Poprad. So a good experience for them. Also a fantastic experience for the under-13s who won a tournament in Boston in the United States over the last week or so. So also fantastic. In, in sad news, um, under-23s defender Max Taylor has been receiving treatment for cancer. Uh, good news, of course, is that he was responding well to chemotherapy and he's continuing to be monitored he's also changed his name from max dunn to max taylor recently um and he's raising a fundraiser i think on on just giving or or one of those kind of websites um to help with his treatment but good news that he's, he's responding well to treatment so hopefully that continues in low news ethan hamilton has scored three goals in six games for rochdale where he's enjoying uh, a fantastic loan spell he joined in january and is in this flourishing in his opening uh, stages of his rochdale career Regan Paul has returned to his old club, Newport County, as we told you a couple of episodes ago, and, and he's playing regularly for them. Uh, United signed Paul from Newport a few years ago, I think a couple, two and a half years ago or so, from Newport, and he's gone back there and is enjoying his low move in, in Wales. In women's news, United have drawn Reading in the Women's FA Cup. They'll play that tie on the same weekend as United face Wolves in the in the Men's FA Cup quarterfinal on March the 17th. And the women play tonight against Sheffield United in the FA Women's Championship. So we'll see what that result is there. OK, we're recording this uh, a day, well, 12 hours or so after Liverpool have drawn 0-0 with Bayern Munich uh, without Van Dijk and without the self-titled best centre-back in the world, Dejan Lovren who remains a major doubt for the United game on Sunday. But United-Liverpool on Sunday, um, a game which I think we're probably looking at in the calendar and thinking, ah, uh, this this could be trouble. Even a few weeks ago, even after the good start with Solskjaer. Um, sadly, Van Dijk will be back because he was only suspended for the Champions League game rather than injured. So he'll be back for, for Sunday against United. Now, I mean, first thing first, are you confident going into this? I'm, I'm never confident going into big games. It's just the way I am. I'm always, I wouldn't call myself a pessimist, but I'm not, I'm not an over optimist when I go into games like this. But I am probably the most confident I've been going into a United Liverpool game for a long time. And not, I guess, not just confident like, oh, we might, you know, just just kind of hold on for a one nil win. This is the most confident that we can actually go toe to toe with with Liverpool that I've been in a long, long time. Yeah. I'm. I've, I think I've said this many times on this podcast before. In that I go into Liverpool games on the whole, I go into Liverpool games pretty confident. It's the the derby, and funnily enough, going into games against Chelsea, which I um I'm never confident for, and I don't look forward to them. Actually, I never look forward to a Manchester derby. I always look forward to United Liverpool. Part I think probably because we have a better record against them. Um, and they have actually they've struggled against us at Old Trafford, even when they've been good and we've been rubbish. So. I'm not hugely confident, but as a quiet inner sense of of confidence um, emanating from my body at this moment, um, should should United go with the diamond again? Yes, I think we should. Um, I don't think any other formation really works with the people that we have available at the moment. Without Martial and Lingard out wide, the the other players that could possibly play there for us in Mata and Alexis just don't fit the style of player that we want out wide. The only way I think you could possibly make it work is if you played Rashford wide, but then you'd be taking him out of the role he's played so well in. And why would you do that? So for me, if I was Solskjaer, I'd, I'd be sticking with the same lineup we saw against uh, against Chelsea, but I'd bring in Alexis over Lukaku. I tweeted about this yesterday that 
despite coming on during a period when we were not really on the ball. Yeah, I thought Alexis actually did really well when he came on against Chelsea. He harassed their defence a lot. He did very, very good defensive work. And when he did get the few chances he had on the ball, I thought he did well. He, he put Rashford through a couple of times. And listen, it was a very small body of work, but Romelu Lukaku's performance was, well, let's just say it left a lot to be desired and leave it there. Um, and I think Alexis deserves deserves an opportunity to start. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'd be tempted to start Alexis. There's always that little bit of fear inside me. And I thought Lukaku was was poor at times, but also showed he still has got the ability to hold the ball up. Um, I think in the first 15 minutes, Lukaku was playing okay, and then he kind of tailed off as the rest of the United team improved. Or maybe he just looks better in comparison. I think the thing that bugs me about about Lukaku is it, ju- it just doesn't seem like he, his effort levels are where they need to be. I understand that not everyone is a world-class football player, and I, and I get that people are in are in good form and bad form at different times, but like that, what I said earlier about the difference between Pogba's run and Lukaku's run when it was uh, in the in the build-up to the second goal, that just kind of sums up what I think is wrong with Lukaku at the moment. It seems like when things start going wrong, everything starts going wrong, and he doesn't even he's not even putting in what we would expect him to put in, and that that is what I think what bugs me the most about his performances. Yeah, I think mean, that's I think mean, that's fair enough. Um, what kind of I'm trying to think what kind of game plan. I would go for if I was talking to Solskjaer at, I mean, it's at Old Trafford at home against Liverpool and we've had success in the kind of getting a goal, counter-attacking, not really controlling the game, but I can't see United having as little as 30, 35% possession at home against Liverpool. I, I can't see it because, because for them too, yeah, I, they'll also yeah, want I can't see to be the counter-attacking team to take advantage of the pace they have in Mane, Salah and Firmino. Um, and their fullbacks. Yeah, it's going to be a classic game of cat and mouse where where both teams probably would prefer to play. On well, the yeah, we'll just be both so hoofing the give. ball to the other team in the hope that we can we can find a counter attack yeah. somewhere. No, I can't see that happening. But I, I I think it's a really tricky one because as a home team, you're kind of expected to dominate these games, to to have possession, to to control the game, and and perhaps if the other team manages to find a counter attacking goal, it's seen as a great performance from them. Whereas if if the home side doesn't have the ball it's like well what's going on so I think it's quite hard to to, to manage um I think Solskjaer will probably tell his midfielders to push up quite a lot but I, I, there's, there's there's certainly not going to be any change to the, the Matic, Herrera, Pogba midfield and in defence I think Lindelof and uh, choosing Lindelof's defensive partner is a difficult one my my heart tells me Bailly should play um because I I much prefer by over Smalling generally but to be fair to him, that was one of the best games Smalling has had all year yesterday or on Monday night. Yeah. Sorry, and yeah. it feels he was composed yeah. and good. And it feels it feels a little bit wrong to drop him off the back of that, especially when although there's not really been anything wrong with Bai's performances, he's not like he's been setting the world alight with his performances recently. I don't think Bai's done enough to warrant keeping Smalling out of the team again. Um, but there is always well, also I think against Chelsea as a as a back four. In the second half, at least, we we genuinely looked very solid. Yeah, we did. So, I mean, there's there's not a huge argument for changing that. Given that, I think the weird thing United have is we have quite a lot of, we do have depth in our centre back position. It's just all of them are pretty much the same level. Yeah. Of it's, li- it's Lindelof and then four average players. <laughs> Even more notably in the last few months is the fact I think the Lindelof's good form since Decemberish has made us realise the the faults of the others even more. Um, 
so yeah it, it it's a it's a bit of a weird one but <laughs> yeah. I don't think much will change with regard to by Smalling and Jones all have pretty much the same weaknesses bar a few certain different attributes so um, but, but okay we, we've spoken about confidence yeah. about, about the team but what's your prediction um, it's tough I think it all depends on how on how both teams come out of the game positive. I said I'm normally not an optimist for these kind of games but I will predict a United win we'll go we'll go for 2-1 with a a yes. last minute Chris nice. Smalling winner oh I was backing him to yeah. score against Chelsea at a couple of free kicks to be fair um I'll go for for Rashford and Pogba to score two and uh, Sadio Mane to score one for Liverpool 2-1 as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably blinded confidence because Liverpool are a very, very good team, um, unfortunately. But it, it just would be fantastic to yeah. to beat them as they try to look to win the title. But there we go. Um, that's all we have time for on Series 4, Episode 28 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, as always. Um, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, it's it's much appreciated and helps other people find the show. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the last few weeks of um, fantastic results by the PSG game, which was still kind of a, a fun European night. For more throughout the week from Jack, you can find him on Twitter at at UTDTAIT. And you can find me on Twitter at at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P O D at the end there. Thanks as always for listening. Um, it, it should be another. I mean, just we're just buzzing off the off the Chelsea win. If that that feels like a, a, a huge win, um, and into the the FA Cup quarterfinals against Wolverhampton Wanderers away on I think the weekend of March sixteenth. So hopefully United can keep marching on with Ole's army. Um, have a great week. Enjoy the Liverpool game if you're going um, on Sunday. I think the the early kickoff. But yeah, enjoy your week. Goodbye. Rashford's ball in. Fantastic goal for Manchester United. It's a peach of a ball in, it really is. It's an absolutely glorious ball. Headed in by Ander Herrera just after the half-hour mark. And Pogba lays it through. Rashford. Pogba's heading for the penalty spot. Matter at the back post. Pogba! Brilliant! What a time to score. Paul Pogba... Network.